Welcome to the First Baptist Church Keller Sermon Podcast. Each week we make available sermons from Pastor Keith and our staff on our website, fbckeller.org. And on iTunes, search for First Baptist Church Keller TX in the iTunes Store or in the podcast app on your mobile device. And now here's our pastor, Keith Sanders. My Bible's open to Romans 15. I invite your attention there. Romans 15, verses 20 through 33. We've only two more messages to go in this two-year verse-by-verse journey of the book of Romans. Having completed the body of the letter in verse 13 of chapter 15, Paul now turns to personal greetings and messages to the individual Christians there in Rome. Um, In fact, last week's sermon was titled, Paul Gets Personal. And for the rest of our time together, we'll look at some of his personal statements and and greetings. You remember that Paul was aware that he had written in the body of the letter some very deep doctrine, doctrine of justification by faith. He'd written some things very boldly to people that he admitted had never met face to face. And he wants them to know, because remember, he wasn't there physically, they couldn't see his body language, that The reason that he wrote these bold things and these deep things is not because he had a low view of them, not because he thought them immature or ignorant. In fact, he offers them a wonderful compliment, really three compliments. He says, here's what I believe about you Christians at Rome. Number one, you're full of goodness. I take that to mean practical righteousness. Of course, every Christian has imputed righteousness at the moment of salvation. Christ declares us righteous before him. But then he wants us to grow in sanctification so that we live righteously in our relationships with other people. And they were doing that. He said, you're full of knowledge. I think that was a compliment to their teachers. They were well taught and versed in the scriptures. And to the point, they were so mature that they were able to admonish one another. Paul didn't feel like he had to be there to correct every little problem that they had. And really what it means, he said, you're competent to counsel. And so he had a high view of them, not a low view of them. And he goes on to explain that his boldness came from the confidence that he had in his own ministry calling. God had saved him on the road to Damascus and struck him blind and called him to be his apostle to the Gentiles. And for the rest of his life, he sought to do that. And he was compelled and convicted to say to the churches throughout that region of the world what God had revealed to him. And the church at Rome was no different. So now that we touched on it last week, I want to give a little fuller treatment today to the fact that Paul's specific calling and therefore his passion is to what we call pioneer missions and evangelism. That is, Paul wanted to take the gospel to people and cultures and geographical regions that had never gone before. And Paul is about to share his dream of taking the gospel to the nation of Spain. And his hope is that the church at Rome will assist him on his way. Now, Paul is far from the only Christian who had a passion and a dream of pioneer missions and evangelism. In 1761, a baby was born in England to some parents with the last name of Carey. They named the little child William. And when William was 18 years old, he was saved by the Holy Spirit through hearing the gospel. And God placed upon him a burden for lost souls, not only in England, but all over the world. And so he was working as a shoemaker, and in his spare time, he taught himself the language of the Bible, Greek and Hebrew. He also taught himself several other languages in preparation for the day when he would articulate his dream of taking the gospel to India 
where many people had never heard it before. But Carey's enthusiasm for the, tax, for the task was often ridiculed by his peers. His life was anything but easy, and it was through much pain and suffering that he carried out his calling. But we know him today as the father of the modern missions movement. And through his ministry, millions of people have ultimately come to faith, and thousands have been called to vocational missions. But Carey had a motto that he took with him wherever he spoke, and it was this, expect great things attempt great things. And our title today is Dreaming Great Dreams, Attempting Great Things. Let's read our text. Romans 15, beginning in verse 20. Paul writes, And thus I aspire to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who had not heard shall understand. For this reason, I, have often, I was often prevented from coming to you, but now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my way there by you, when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. But now I'm going to Jerusalem, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution to the poor, among the saints in Jerusalem. Yes, they were pleased to do so, and they are indebted to them, for if the Gentiles have shared in their spiritual things, they are indebted to minister to them also in material things. Therefore, when I have finished this and have put my seal on this fruit of theirs, I will go on by my way to Spain. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may prove acceptable to the saints, so that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing company at rest in your company. Now the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Now we know that Paul was Baptist because he said amen and wrote a whole other chapter but uh, we've got two more weeks to go and we'll cover that ground later. So the Apostle Paul is talking about his dream of going to Spain. I thought what would be helpful today is if we could follow Paul's logic as a model and a template for any of us who the Lord may be putting a dream in our heart to accomplish for his glory. And he begins by clarifying the calling. You have to have it clear in your mind before you can articulate it to another person. Now, when I enrolled in seminary 19 years ago, I was shocked by how many of my peers did not have a clear sense of calling. That is, many of them could not, with any intelligence, answer the question, why did you enroll in seminary? I suspect some of them enrolled to prolong their adolescence. They went to high school and then to college and still didn't know what to do with their life. And so what do you do? You, you go to graduate school. Maybe some of them admired a youth minister or pastor and they had heard they went to seminary, and so they wanted to follow in their footsteps. And some had an interest in theology the way some of you have an interest in algebra or chemistry. And they just wanted to study that. But there are those at seminary who come because they want to be trained because they have a dream and a calling to serve the Lord as pastors and missionaries around the world. And what we try to do here at Keller is find those young men and women and help them along the way and invest in them and because this church did that for me and for most of our staff. Well, Paul had no doubt about his own calling. 
it was very clear in his mind. You see it in verse 20. He says, and thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Now, all of us as Christians have a general calling. We call it the Great Commission, right? Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son, teaching them to obey whatsoever commandments I've given you. But Paul believed that he, and I think other people, can have a specific or an individual calling, and that is to a specific area. So Paul's specific area was Asia, parts of Europe, and now the Lord had put on his mind to go to the ends of the earth, as, Paul, as far as Paul could tell, which was the nation of Spain, and that's just what he did. Now, there are a lot of large gaps of time in Paul's biblical biography where we don't know exactly where he was or what he was doing, but we know that it began on the Damascus Road when the risen Lord Jesus saved him, called him to be an apostle, and for the rest of his earthly life, he pursued that calling with great enthusiasm. Now, the truth is, most of us will never be struck blind and told by Jesus Christ exactly what he wants us to do. In fact, I've heard many missionary and pastoral testimonies of calling that begin with a denial. And it goes like this. Well, I didn't have a Damascus Road experience. And so Paul's calling seems to be the gold standard of callings. And everything else is measured against it. So if we don't have a Damascus Road experience... How are we to discern when God is giving us a dream or calling us to do something? Well, I, begin, I believe it began simply with a God-given desire to do it. 1 Timothy 3.1, it is a trustworthy statement. If any man aspires to the office of overseer, that means pastor, elder, it is a fine work he desires to do. And so in my own experience, that's exactly the way I began to discern God's calling me to be a pastor. Up until 20, 21 years old, that was the farthest thing from my mind. I never had any desire to preach or to certainly be a pastor, but uh, the Lord brought me to a point where I truly could say, Lord, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do. Then he gave me a desire to preach the gospel and to pastor his church. And I take that as a desire that he put there. Now, once that calling is clarified in your own mind, it's time to articulate it to others. So you articulate the dream, verse 23. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you whenever I go to Spain. Now here's the big dream that Paul has in his heart to take the gospel to Spain. Now, as I said, Spain was as far away as Paul could imagine anywhere being. It was the ends of the earth. But even while he was preaching in Asia Minor and making those missionary journeys from Antioch, his heart and mind was on Spain. Now, I don't think it was simply a case of the grass being greener somewhere else. Paul had some hard times during his missionary journeys, but he knew it was going to be hard in Spain, probably harder than he'd ever experienced. And yet he was an eternal optimist. I can tell that in his voice when he writes, whenever I go to Spain. <laughs> now, he didn't know when it would be. But it was uh, something that was driving him as the anticipation of going there. I, I love being around optimistic people. That's why I love West pastors so much. Several years ago, I was in my office minding my own business and got a knock on my door. And this gentleman walked in and it was Wes. And I had never met him, never heard of him, to be honest with you. But Wes was in the area and he had heard about our church and some of the things we were doing. And he came by to, to meet me and we went into the conference room and he had under his arm a scroll literally rolled up map 
And he laid it out on the table, and he said to me, Now, Pastor, you probably don't know this, but the two most unchurched regions of North America are New England, and I said, Utah. He said, How did you know? I said, Because that's where we're planting churches. And sure enough, on his map, there was a map of North America in two red areas, Utah and New England. And the Lord had put on his heart to reach New England. The Lord had put on our heart to reach Utah. And the Lord knit our hearts together that day. And every time he's in town, we have lunch, as we did yesterday, primarily because I want to be encouraged by his optimism and by his enthusiasm. And so we're glad to have Wes here today. Now, once you clarify the calling and you articulate the dream, then you need to make an assessment. All right, I've got this dream in my heart. I know the Lord wants me to do it. What's preventing it? You have to look at the obstacles and identify the obstacles. Verse 25, he says, but now I'm going to Jerusalem serving the saints. In Paul's case, what was preventing him from going to Spain was prior obligations. Now, there are countless things that can be obstacles to our fulfilling our dreams and callings. And one of them may surprise you. One of them is God's providence. God may put a dream or a calling to your life, but it's not for right now. Maybe it's later. Maybe he puts other things into your life that prevent you from doing it at that moment. In the book of Acts, we see Paul having this dream to go to Asia with the gospel. But he said, every time I try to go, the Spirit stops me. Until finally he had this dream and this man in Macedonia was praying that come over and help us. We call that the Macedonian call. We also have an enemy called Satan and he's putting obstacles in our way from fulfilling God's calling in our life. But I have found in my own life that most of the obstacles are of my own doing. Sometimes we're of our own worst enemy when it comes to fulfilling the Lord's calling in our life. Did you know that, that one of the obstacles a lot of people have from being used by God is personal unsecured debt? Now, you know that we work through the International Mission Board, and we're praying the Lord would send workers into the harvest fields around the world. But did you know that the International Mission Board will not commission you as a missionary if you have unsecured debt? So if you need a motive to get out of personal debt, you can't go through our Southern Baptist Convention until you do. And so maybe that's a great motive for, for some of you. That's just one example. Maybe it's fear. Maybe it's doubt. There's all sorts of things that we need to identify as obstacles. But let me assure you what has never been an obstacle to God getting anything done in the world, and that is some failure in his ability or power. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul says to the Ephesian church, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we could ask or think according to the power that works within us. That is, you can't imagine a dream or a calling too big for God. And I take also from that that there's not an obstacle in your path that God's not powerful enough to move. And so if there are obstacles in your life that you've identified, take them to the Lord and get to work. Now, once you've identified those obstacles, you need to recruit a team of helpers. God didn't save any one of us to be an island unto ourselves. I have a friend who wrote his PhD dissertation on the theology of cooperative missions. That is, he looked for everything the Bible had to say about cooperating with other Christians in doing the Lord's work. And so we ought to recruit a team. Look at verse 24. It's what Paul does. He says, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing 
and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Now Paul gets out a map and he's wanting to go to Spain and he says, aha, Rome is on the way to Spain. Sort of. It's kind of like when I get out the mantlets in the spring to plan our family vacation and I do as I did a few years ago when we were going to Montana. Melissa, Yellowstone National Park is on the way to Montana. Now on the map, it looks like it's only that far off the interstate, but it cost us a full day and almost my marriage. <laughs> and so Melissa plans the vacations now, okay? But Rome was on the way to Spain, and so Paul says, here's my plan. I'm gonna stop off and spend some time with you all and get to know you and teach you some things and just be encouraged by your fellowship. And then he sneaks something in, he says, and be helped on my way there by you. Paul is getting them ready for the fact, I think he's going to ask for their assistance in his dream of going to Spain. Now, we, as you know, as a church body, are committed to faithful stewardship. The Lord has blessed us financially here in almost an embarrassing way. And so we feel a great obligation to be wise managers and stewards and distribute that money as far as it will go. There was a graphic on the screen a moment ago that said mission. I don't know if you saw it real closely or not, but it was of rocket ships going in different directions. And that graphic came from a prayer that was prayed in our deacon body 20 years ago that I reminded our deacons of yesterday. And the prayer was this, Lord, would you use First Baptist Keller as a launching pad for missions all over the world and not a reservoir for money? And so as money comes in, it's our desire to send it out to the ends of the earth. And that's why we have dozens and dozens of ministry partners like NETS that we support financially. It's not just that. There's an acronym. I don't know if I created it, but I'm going to take credit for it. When I, when I think about how we want to support missionaries here, I say we want to give them a PERM, P-E-R-M. And that stands for Prayer, encouragement, rest, and money. Those are four tangible ways we can support pioneer missionaries. We can pray for them, and I encourage you to do so. We do in our pastoral meeting every Monday morning. We pray for missionaries by name. Secondly, we can encourage them. We have ladies in our church who write hundreds of cards of encouragement. They go to missionaries all over the world. We can give them a place to rest. Our church is blessed to own two homes which we make available to furloughing missionaries to just come home for a while and rest up and go back to the field refreshed. And then, of course, pioneer evangelism is incredibly expensive. And again, the Lord has blessed us financially here, and so we want to share that financial blessing through them. So um, we have to recruit a team. Now, in our case, that means cooperating with the Southern Baptist Convention. Entities like the North American Missionary Board, which plants churches in North America, and the International Mission Board that sends missionaries to foreign countries all over the world. It means giving a significant amount of money to the cooperative program. I always say about the cooperative program, what we lack in creativity in naming it, we make up for in effectiveness. Cooperative program is where Southern Baptists cooperate to pool their resources to pay the salaries of missionaries and the expenses of missionaries around the world so that they don't have to come home every six months and raise money. They can stay on the field like the Johnsons from our church are doing there in Taiwan. And so it's a wonderful program. 
But I would say to this, if the Lord put a dream and a calling into your life as a member of First Baptist Keller, the first obligation and the first teammate you ought to recruit is us. We're your family. Tell us about it. Tell us what the Lord's put in your heart that we may pray about it with you. And then if the Lord is in it, we'll help to support it financially. Now, while you're doing that, while you're building the team and while you're raising the money, honor your commitments in the here here and now. Verse 25, he says, but now in this present moment, while I'm waiting for the dream to be fulfilled to go to Spain, I am going to Jerusalem, by the way, a thousand miles away, serving the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the saints in Jerusalem. So Paul had this desire to collect an offering for the poor Christians in Jerusalem from among the Gentile churches and to take it to them as a show of good faith that they were a family now and family helps take care of one another. Now, why Jerusalem? Well, Jerusalem before Antioch was the home base of Christianity. On the day of Pentecost, Peter preached and 3,000 were saved and baptized. And many of them had come from other places in the world and they stayed to be discipled by the apostles. And these people had to eat and they had to have a place to live. And, and then before you know it, a famine came to that part of the world. And there was real poverty there among the Christian church. And God put it upon Paul's heart to take up an offering to relieve their suffering and to build fellowship among various churches around that part of the world. And he did that. Remember that um, those leaders at the Council of Jerusalem instructed Paul and the others to remember the poor, which they were very anxious to do. And so Paul had made this commitment to take this offering, and he did not feel the freedom to go to Spain until he had completed it. Maybe God's put something in your heart, but maybe he's also given you an obligation that's not finished yet. And I would say, finish your obligation first and then pursue God's calling and dream in your life. And I'm not picking on seminary students. Those are just who I know the most of. But when I was in seminary, I knew many seminary students who didn't even belong to a local church for three or four years while they were getting their degree. They'd sleep late on Sunday, and when you'd ask them why they aren't involved in church, they'd say, well, I'm going to be doing that the rest of my life. I'm preparing to do that. Why in the world would the Lord give you a larger ministry if you're not faithful to the one you're in now? So let me say to seminary students, we have several here, rock babies in the nursery while you're waiting to pastor a church. Work in the widow's garden while you're waiting to go overseas as a missionary. Find some place of need in the church and fulfill it. And when you're faithful with a little, and God is pleased to give you a larger scoped ministry, that's his business. Give him the glory for it. But be faithful and honor your commitments in the here and now. And when all the obstacles have been cleared and all the hurdles have been crossed and you've recruited your team and you're financed and ready to go, move out boldly. Verse 29. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. Now, our word of faith and prosperity, friends, would read that verse, and you know what they hear from it? Paul's going to be healthy and wealthy. Is that how Paul's life turned out? No. Shipwrecked twice, beaten with rods, day and a night he spent in the deep, in prisons often. No, his life was not one of health and wealth. It was one of the fullness of the blessing of Christ, though. 
Someone asked me recently, where is your favorite place in the world? And I said, in the will of God. That's the best place I know to be. Paul lived his life in the will of God. And so he says, I don't know when I'm going to get to see you. But when I do, I'm confident that it will be in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. See, that was not dependent on location, circumstance, weather, or health. And so if you live your life in the will of God, you too can live in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. And no matter what he calls you to do, you move out in boldness. Because you're not really moving out of the blessing of Christ. You're just moving to a different geographic location. And then finally, once you've done all that, and really before you've done any of that, and while you're doing all of that, bathe everything in prayer. Sometimes here's what I've been guilty of doing in my past. I'll get out the legal pad and I'll have some idea I want to do and I'll write pro on one side and con on the other and I'll write out all the possibilities and the scenarios and when I finally settle on one, I say, now it's time to pray. God, put your stamp of approval on my plan. That's not what Paul did or what he's talking about here. It's not what I mean when I say bathe everything in prayer. Look at verse 30. He says, Now I urge you, brothers, by the Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. And Paul was striving, which means to put forth great effort to understand the will of God and accomplish his purposes. And he's recruiting others who he believes to be mature Christians that know how to pray. And he said, I want you to join me in working hard to pray for some specific things. Number one, verse 31 says that I may be rescued from those who are disobedient in Judea. Paul had enemies. He had people who really had put a price on his head. They wanted him dead. And he says, pray to God that, that they will not be successful. And secondly, that my service for Jerusalem, that is this offering he's taking up, will prove acceptable for the saints. And then one more, that I may come to you in joy by the will of God and find refreshing rest in your company. And then he greets them in the Lord and he says, Amen. At the beginning of his plans, in the middle of his plans, and at the conclusion of his plans, there was prayer. Now you would think if a pastor had seven points, that would be enough. But I thought of one more after we printed the bulletin. <laughs> Once all that has been done, we need to be flexible and submissive. Now, here's the thing about my plans I've noticed all through the years. Almost none of them ever work out. <laughs> I didn't say my dreams and my calling didn't work out. I'm saying my plans didn't work out the way I thought they would. God has blessed me. To see some marvelous things. Greater than I ever dreamed. But it's not because I came up with some grand strategy. It's when I got to a place of submission in my life. Where I was trying to tell God how to run my life. Where I truly was available to be a vessel for his glory. That's when the Lord did some things. And it was always much better than I ever could have dreamed of. And I would say to you, if the Lord's put something in your heart, some change you're looking to make in your life, some, something you want to attempt for His glory, yes, make sure you understand your own calling. Clarify it, then articulate it to others and build a team around you that can help you and identify all the uh, uh, obstacles in your way and 
Ask the Lord to remove those. And, and when he does that, um, celebrate it and move out with boldness, bathing everything in prayer, but understand he's God and we're not. And he can change the plan at any moment, right? And he doesn't have to ask our opinion about it. And when he does, we just say, Lord, thank you, because I know your way's better than mine. Now, I'm not just talking about individuals. I'm talking about our church today. We stand at a great, important moment. COVID's over, amen? amen. Even the government admitted it yesterday. <laughs> we can't say that's holding us back anymore. We're debt-free and have been since 2018. The Lord has sent some wonderful people here. We have a great sense of unity and togetherness. And we met with the deacon body and we said, look, it's time for us to, to have a dream and a plan. What's the Lord want us to do in the future? And I had to say to them, in honesty, I don't know. But I know who does, don't you? The Lord's got a plan. And if we'll come to him with a, an attitude and a disposition of submission, I believe he's going to show us that plan in his timing. Now, he may change it. As, it, as we move forward. But there's one place I want to be in my personal life, and there's one place I want First Baptist Keller to be all the time, and that is in the will of the Father. Amen? So James 1.5. If anyone needs wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all men liberally and upbraideth not. Let's pray for God's wisdom and God's dream for our future. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you for your word, and thank you, Father, that you are sovereign. You created the universe and you reign over it. There's not one rebel molecule that's outside of your control. And yet, Lord, you know us individually. Not a hair on our head is not numbered. And Father, as your children, we believe that you have not only a general will that we take the gospel to the ends of the earth, you have an individual and a specific will for this body of believers and every individual in it. And so, Father, we confess as we sit here today, we, we're not ready to articulate specifically what that is yet. But we know that in time, as we pray, as we strive in prayer, as Paul says, you'll reveal that. And I'm reminded the Word says your Word is a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. You, you rarely show us 5, 10, 20 years in the future. You, you give us enough light to take the next step. And so, Lord, when you do, Give us the courage, the boldness to step out in faith and follow your direction and keep following it until Jesus returns or he calls us home. Lord, we believe the best place in the world to be is in your will. Keep us close to you. Help us not to run ahead or fall behind. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for listening to our broadcast. To learn more about First Baptist Church in Keller, Texas, or to hear more sermons by Pastor Keith and our staff, visit us online at fbckeller.org.